This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Welcome back. This is Dollars and Change. I'm Nick Ashburn. And I'm Cheryl Kuhlman. And you are listening to Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 111. Cheryl, this has been fun. It is always fun. It's been a little while since I've been in the studio. Oh, because you were at the conference. We were at the conference before, and then, you know, I just haven't hosted for a little while. So it feels good to be back in the saddle. <laughs> um, well, let's let's move on with that after that. So we have Scott Tannen, who is the founder and chief executive officer of Bolin Branch with us. Uh, Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, good to good to hear your clear connection, I think, from New Jersey. Is that right? Beautiful garden state. Absolutely. <laughs> beautiful garden state. Well, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Um, I wanted to first touch base. Might I have heard an advertisement, or if you're in the UK, an advertisement for, of Bowl and Branch on a SiriusXM channel, potentially? It, it's possible. Um, if you listen to any one of the 40 SiriusXM stations we advertise on fairly heavily. Um, <laughs> so now, so, so I think anybody that's heard those advertisements is like, all right, this guy's voice again. Um, but but yeah, it's it's uh, it's actually the first national media channel that uh, that that we tapped into was was satellite radio. Well, then it's good that we have you on, so you can go beyond the advertisement and then uh, talk a little bit more in depth about your product. Yeah. So Scott, you know, it's interesting because I do actually I hear those those advertisements, and I'm curious. I mean, first of all. If you hear the advertisement, you sort of know what you do. So first, let's go with that. And then I'd love to also discuss, like, I didn't realize you had such a strong sustainability lens. So first, tell us what, you know, what Bolin Branch is, and then we'll dive into the second part. Yeah, and and, and it's interesting that, that, that you didn't. Um, and I wouldn't say it's necessarily part of design, but but it is a little bit kind of a sense of, of what I think the the next generation of sustainability or, or more socially focuses focused businesses are. Um, so Bowling Branch is uh, one of, if not the fastest growing um, online retailer of luxury bedding. Um, so bed linen sheets, uh, blankets, towels, um, pretty much anything you might find in a, in a bedroom or, or, um, or a bathroom. Um, we make uh, all of our textiles uh, are made from 100% organic cotton. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, we look at organic cotton and everything we do as a business um, you know, businesses are based on people. So when we talk about, you know, a lot of companies talk about CSR, and I, I've personally worked in, in large companies that have entire uh, CSR departments or teams, um, you know, and, and when you're starting a new business, as we were with Bull and Branch, um, you're, you're faced with a million decisions. So um, what we ultimately decided, and I don't know that it was, was really a decision, it's just sort of the values that that I have and my wife had um, back when it was only just the two of us and and uh, and this this crazy idea that we were validated by our sub ten year old daughters um, they they seem to really support it um, but you know it, it's you just simply how do you marginalize people right at the end of the day um, you know, we're deciding how are we going to make our product how are we going to source our product well. Shouldn't we make the right decision? Um, and and is the right decision one that starts with humans or starts with economics? Um, and and what we found as as we got into it is that you, you certainly can have both, but you have to be able to reject the status quo to 
you know, have a strong economically sustainable business that 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 builds itself and, and part of the DNA of the company and the business is, is just treating people properly. So can you unpack that a little bit? What, what do you how do you disrupt the status quo and and what does this sort of people focus look like at your company? Yeah, it's, should I, it's, you know, we, then our next guest is from Great Places to Work. I'm like, is Bolin Branch going to be one of those? Um, I I think it's a pretty darn great place to work. Um, I also think I'm pretty awesome to work for, but <laughs> but you know, I might be a little jaded in that. Um, no, you know, it, it's. When you talk about, and let's talk about our, our category or sector for a second, um, you know, home textiles, it's big business. It's the yeah. definition of big business, right? And, and when I define big business, I look at, at um, you can be one of two things. You can be, um, you know, a brand or, or product that, um, that, that is so woven into sort of the, the, the fabric of, of who we are as a society, right? Nobody thinks about Oreo cookie and what what's the basis of that brand right we, we knew it our parents knew it our grandparents knew it and and sort of passed down um, and that's that's classic you know big business and and I think the same could be said for you know even something like Facebook right it's it's part of our fabric um, and and so you know when you have a, a category like home textiles that's gener- generally driven by massive big box retailers right so so at every end of the spectrum starting at Walmart all the way up through a Saks Fifth Avenue mm-hmm. uh, most people are buying these products not at small all, you know, mom and pop type stores. They're buying, um, you know, buying products from from mass retailers. But, yeah, I'm but, definitely not going and thinking like I'm going to go into my local small business linen shop. Yeah, the, it doesn't even make sense, right? right. And yeah. and I think that that that's where like I always ask the people, you know, um, I ask folks, I'm like, quick, tell me the name of a bedding brand, like name one. I was just trying to think of that. I, I yeah. No. Chances are, you're, if you can, if you're one of the 40% of customers that can even name one, what you're going to spit back to me is the name of the retailer that you might have bought it, right? So you might say Bed Bath & Beyond. You might say Macy's. You might say whatever. Um, and, and so, but, but anybody, I think, that, that, that looks at a category like betting that's sort of devoid of brands, very dominated by large retailers, a fairly unemotional purchase for the consumer, right? It's just basically like, I got a new bed, I got married, I, um, my old one's ripped. Um, so, you Oh, know, no, Scott. <laughs> completely wrong. I have been on the hunt for good bed sheets for a while now. Like, I'm, like, you see Nick's face. He is serious about this. <laughs> I mean, my, my husband might be listening, and I'm like, no, like, I took two years before I figured out what – I mean, we had a sheet on our bed. But, like, you know, like, it was – we were washing that one for over and over and over again instead of, like, having multiple sets because I am so picky. And I didn't know about Bowl and Branch until I started – learning more about it. So I'm looking forward to it. Oh, awesome. Well, and I think that, so you're in the minority. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to point that out that, that first of all, there's nothing I love more than your obsession for our category. I mean, that's like, that's like you, you embody my Super Bowl. Um, but, 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 you know, in reality, most people don't feel that way. And when you unpack a, a, you know, a big business or a large category like home textiles, um, or any big category, it does ultimately big at some point in the chain, when you start going backwards, it moves to small, right? So, so at the end of the day, at some point in that chain, big businesses are reliant on small providers. So mm-hmm. in the case of, of a large retailer embedding, right, you might have a large finishing cut and sew factory. You might have a slightly less large but still pretty large spinning mill and weaver, but they might be sourcing from 2,000 smallholder farms. 
Um, so, so when you really start looking at the supply chain and you look at the way it works, you say, well, you've got big, big, big leading to tiny. Um, you understand that tiny can become marginalized. And tiny can become marginalized in a few ways, right? They, 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 they may not have sort of the basis or the background to understand the, the general economics of the category, how to manage their own you know, money, their own expenses, their product, their, and they become extremely reliant, right, on, you know, big business X buys all of my product every year. If they don't buy it, I don't sell it to anybody. Um, and, and, you know, we could, I, I could spend hours talking about that. But, but we decided to go, um, you know, from, from, from the ground up, so to speak. And, and my background, um, it, before, you know, I worked in big Fortune 100, you know, I have more of a classic marketing background. Um, but prior to launching Bull & Branch, I actually was in the video game business, which makes me perfectly well-equipped to start a linen company. <laughs> exactly. uh, and my wife and co-founder was a third-grade teacher, um, which only essentially uh, makes her qualified to yell at me and make me sit in the corner, um, which she does on a pretty much daily basis. But, um, but no, in, in reality, we were totally industry outsiders. So, uh, and, 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 and planning um, on self-funding my own, th- this venture, um, and, and self-funding it because I, I knew that if we took a very unique approach to sourcing um, and, and creating a product, that it might be something that the investor community doesn't understand because, because it, you know, they're, they're going to immediately look at well, what do the margins look like, what do the economics look like, and, and we're building a model from the ground up, starting with a smallholder cotton farmer that, that that breeds sustainability, right? And, and it's, it's sustainable for the smallest, you know, piece of our supply chain up through, you know, uh, the price we charge a, a, a consumer or, or, you know, the, the finishing factories of, of various scales. So that when, when you take, you know, some people call it disruptive, but when you take a, what I think is just sort of a unique approach and you reboot a category, and for us, we were rebooting it because we didn't know the status quo. Um, we just knew what made sense to us as humans. Um, it, it, that that's what sort of bred itself, but but the reason that doesn't come through in our ads is at the end of the day, people aren't buying sustainable products; they're buying great products, um, and and we happen to make a great product, and and uh, certainly an ingredient to that is the the sustainable materials we use, the the you know the the fair labor, the fact that that we have an extremely clean supply chain in a category where not a lot of supply chains are all that clean or certainly aren't traceable. Um, all of that is sort of the DNA and defines how we behave as a company. Um, but I'm not, I'm not necessarily sure that, that that's the reason someone should want to buy our, our bed sheet. They should want to buy our bed sheet because, um, you know, if, if you had found us at day one of your two-year search for sheets, you would have been done. Um, and, and, you know, so at the end of the day, that's, we're here to sell a product and, and satisfy a customer. Um, but we're also people, and we have to, we have to live with ourselves. We're speaking with Scott Tannen, who is the founder and CEO of Bowl and Branch. We're talking about linens and bed sheets and towels. That doesn't necessarily sound like social impact, but yet it is because we're talking about sustainable supply chains and being a great place to work and, and how you treat your employees. If you have a question for us yeah. or for Scott, give us a call at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. So Scott, um, you know. Although I don't wait two years between buying sheets, I'm also a big fan of new sheets and great blankets, etc. When you were thinking about starting this, or when you were first taking the steps, mm-hmm. was part of your work trying to find the shareholder farmers who were producing the cotton and and starting with them? How did you how did you sort of move from we need better sheets to here's the company we're going to build? Um, it- 
it, it wasn't. I, I'll be honest with you, it wasn't that intentional um, from the start. It became more of a quest. Uh, so, so you know, the inbound assumption is is a place that I think a lot of people, and whether you're selling a mattress or or men's athletic wear or or you know a sports bra, right? You start off with saying. Um, you know, this is a this is a category that's very complicated from the consumer standpoint. There's not a lot of consumer value in that in in that piece, right? So, um, so that's what kind of what I would consider disruption 1.0 is like you know, cut out the middleman, and I'm going to sell basically what you could get at a department store, and I'm going to sell it for half the price. Um, you know, full stop. And 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 part of it is I'm going to create a beautiful logo and tell everybody that I've created a beautiful brand. And and that was where I started. I thought that was the model. Um, and it wasn't until I started diving in myself to simply meeting with the same importers that are supplying everybody from the department stores to even other startups, um, and and saying, okay, so you're making with Egyptian cotton. Like, where in Egypt are the farms? And and it's like, well, I, I don't I don't know. I'm like, wait, I, no, I want to go. I want to see it. I want to, you know, this is. This is act two for me as an entrepreneur, so of course I'm going to be a little bit more detailed in how I think about it. But, but number two, I, I just started asking kind of what, what I would think are the logical human questions you ask, maybe not necessarily questions that people are, are a part of the system have been brought up to ask, right? They accept a lot of the status quo. So, so what happened, what happened at, 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 it was this, this bit of a metamorphosis for, for me as I'm building my business plan was I, I became highly unsatisfied with the fact that there wasn't answer, there weren't answers and there, there wasn't traceability. Things I knew was I knew the human cost of conventional cotton farming, right? I knew the impact that the inordinately high amount of chemicals and yeah. pesticides that are used on cotton can I, I knew the impact that had on people, the farmers, their communities, their children, um, that they weren't as sophisticated. It, it felt right. But when you talk within the system, well, there's no demand for organic cotton. Well, of course there's no demand for organic cotton. But there's, there's you know, don't we as, as makers have a, have a, don't we have a potential responsibility to, to, to build demand for organic cotton because it's the right thing to do? Um, and that was where I, I started. And I, I started realizing that I can't, adapt to any of the, you know, the traditional disruption model of I'm going to undercut the retail price and use the same suppliers. I knew I had to build the supply chain back from from square one, which meant for us starting at the cotton source. And I needed to know who the farmers were, where they were, what they were being paid, what the species of cotton that we're using is, why we're using it, what the diameter of the thread we're weaving is, what's the tension, everything from the ground up. And we, we ultimately started working you know, and with, you know, drastically summarizing this, we couldn't find anybody within the home textile sector that could meet our standards from beginning to end. So we essentially took a garment supply chain and working, you know, the fact that I didn't know anything about betting, don't let that fool you. I I quickly found people that shared our vision, um, but had that sort of true industrial experience that helped us Build, the, build out the supply chain and work with suppliers that, in, in many cases, as I said, were garment suppliers, and help them adapt their facilities, their 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 looms, their you know, every aspect of this, adapt it to well. And Scott, making I, bedding. I think it's interesting because really, I you know, you may not, I don't know where you're selling if it's just online or if it's also retail, but mm-hmm. you know, even if you go to a Walmart. Now they're really starting to put pressure on all of their vendors, and then all of those vendors are having to figure out, does this happen in their supply chain? And on all the way down, and people may have known sort of this 
maybe scope one, what happens within my business that I touch nearly every day. But then as you move on to those outside suppliers, they have no clue. There's no transparency throughout the supply chain. And we're seeing also on the investor side that they're starting to ask companies, do you know these things? And they're grading them. Um, you know, rating systems, investing analysts, they're all starting to look at this. And so it's interesting to hear your story because while, you know, I agree it is absolutely imperative to have the best product on the market, yes, it is sustainable, but the, I, we really feel here at the Wharton Social Impact Initiative, like these are actually trends, macro trends that are happening across industries. And you better know the answers to some of these questions, whether you've changed your practices or not, but you better know the answer to these questions because they're going to come up at different times. I cannot agree with you more, but but I'll even take it a step further. Um, and and the piece of this that that has shocked me, and I'll, I'll use you know the the example of, of sort of well spun in Egyptian cotton um, that 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 all these retailers sort of took a grandstanding approach. Hey, we're not going to work with well spun anymore. I can't believe they've been selling us Egyptian cotton that's not actually Egyptian cotton. And what I can tell you is I've been doing this for you know four to five years now. I spent over a year researching and understanding textiles. I learned that Egyptian cotton wasn't all made in Egypt the second day, right? So, so they can what? spare me. They can really spare me the fact that oh, you know, we're going to take a clean approach. They're te- they're either stupid or they're lying, right? And, and 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 the reality is is that everybody understood. But finally, there was a consumer consciousness that said, "Hey, we want you to know what you're making. Do you do you know?" And they're saying, you know, oh, we we didn't know. Please, yeah, you're, call- you're calling <laughs> you know, them on please. that. Um, and 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 that's the you know that's the, the point. But I, I totally agree with you. I think that that where we are culturally is that if you make a product and you sell a product, you have an obligation to know everything about that product, so your consumer doesn't have to. And that's what a brand is, and that's what consumer trust is, right? Our consumers trust Bull and Branch, not because we need to explain our entire supply chain in every ad. They they understand that they get a high quality product from us. And they understand the ethos, especially when you receive the product in a very beautiful package with, with a lot of great information about where and... and You're and, making me want to order something. I know. We, <laughs> we are... That's what it's about, right? <laughs> I, I will tell you, we are not... We are certainly not one of the biggest players overall in the betting category, but I would put our knowledge of our supply chain and every aspect of our product up against absolutely anybody at any scale. 10 and o'clock I shopping. Well, I, didn't, I did not know that we could have such a passionate... Uh, impassioned uh, discussion around linens and bedding. We've been speaking with Scott Tannen, who is the founder and chief executive officer of Bowl and Branch. And and Scott, I actually want to go to the phones because we have a caller from Texas. We have Constantine on the line. Constantine, Constantine, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. I I listen to the Bowl and Branch radio radio advertisements all the time. I listen to Sirius Satellite all the time. And I'm so compelled to get some. Okay, but I don't have any yet. So I'm excited to be able to talk to you for the first time because I feel like I kind of know the company through your eyes. <laughs> I hear you, Constantine. <laughs> so um, no, I really am compelled to buy some. So, but the, the question I have today is I'm starting, I just filed a, a provisional patent application and I'm trying to figure out my sales, my supply chain right now. And it's, it's a plastic product. And, and so I kind of already have figured out my p- supply chain. I know who's going to make the tool and who's going to inject the mold. And I know how I'm going to distribute it. But for my question is, you've spent a lot of time today talking about the supply chain. 
when do you find yourself in your business, and I don't even know how old your business is, determining how much t- more time to spend kind of away from your supply chain since you've already figured it out to promote promoting your, your – how much time do you devote today to promoting your brand? I know your ads just run like auto. But <laughs> I, you know, how, do you, how do you figure out how, what am I going to do tomorrow? Is it, is it about figuring out a better supply chain or is it about figuring out uh, how, to, how to get more media? So, Constantine, Constantine, it sounds like you're really saying, you know, there are a lot of different aspects to a business – how do you manage, you know, how do you prioritize and where do you focus and on what day? Um, if, if I got you right, what, what's your answer there, Scott? Uh, you know, um, fortunately, I'm not by myself here anymore. It's not just Missy and I, right? So, Did you so put your girls is, to work? There is a certain amount of that. Now, now, here's my belief is that, you know, if you want to create a company that just gooses up revenue, runs up losses, and maybe you'll get bought by somebody someday, you, you spend a significant amount of time in your marketing, right? Because you're not thinking about, you might be thinking about tomorrow, but you're not thinking about six weeks from tomorrow, or six years, or 50 years from tomorrow. Um, that's not our approach. We, we, when we think about sustainability, we don't just think about social impact. We think about, we are trying to create a brand and a business that's going to be here in a generation um, and, and make those decisions. So we spend Operations is the name of the game, and and our supply chain is never fully built. It's constantly optimized because we're constantly growing, and we certainly have aspirations to grow. So I could scale this business way faster if I didn't have standards or I wanted to compromise those standards. Um, But understanding that for me to bring on a new branch of my supply chain, it could take me a year. It could take me 18 months. Um, So that's that's sort of a never-ending process that our operations team, we spend a lot of time focusing. We talk about it every single day. Um, You know, from a marketing standpoint, at, at the end of the day, if I'm not selling product, right, it's like I can't turn off the electricity and wonder why it's not bright enough in the room. So, um, so, you know, marketing is, is crucial, but our marketing message is always going to be backed up by making sure that we, we have a product that, that is outstanding and, and it delivers. And no matter if I'm making it in one factory or now we're up to seven, um, and ultimately we'll be far beyond that, um, as long as that quality, that's those standards, everything are identical from one to the, nu- to the next, my marketing is not you know, blowing smoke. And, and, and so it is a balance. I mean, I, I, there's no silver bullet, right? It's, it's just, you know, if, if you need to spend eight hours of your day on one thing, well, you should just start spending 16 hours a day working on your business, right? Well, and as, as we know, entrepreneurs are not just working eight hours a day. <laughs> they are working pretty much round the clock, especially at, at the front end. Constantine, I'm sure that's pretty much at the phase you are, huh? It is. It is. And I, I'm confronted with going to buy some product in China, and I really want to make it at, at up the street in Halton City, Texas, but I got an $18,000 quote versus a $1,600 quote in, in China, and it bothers me totally, Have and I want to, to make China? a better supply chain. Have you been chain. to China? No, no sir. So don't I'm sign using... anything until you go there, right? <laughs> because I, I, a, I'm using, a, an $1,100 plane ticket might be the best insurance policy you've ever bought. Um, understand why it costs that much less. There is a difference in labor costs, but really understand what that cost delta is and what the ultimate total 
cost is. So it's not just it's not just a, a, a cost that sits on your P&L somewhere. There's a total cost to it. And um, if you believe that there's value in creating it in the U.S. and that value is, is paid for by the customer, then, then that might give you your answer. If you believe that um, this seems too good to be true in China, it probably is. Um, and, and ultimately, I always find that, that you know, the, the deltas in pricing between one region and another or one factory and another are never as extreme at the end of the day as they might seem up front. So I would say get yourself on a plane before you sign anything, please. So we do have Scott Tannen here, founder and CEO of Bolin Branch. Um, we've been talking, I mean, how to, how to start your business, how you're managing through different priorities. How do you incorporate sustainability? How do you, you know, think about your customers and your employees? And the tie between sustainability and, and good quality, that in the end, you know, the quality has to be there. Um, and sustainability is part of the the underpinning, but without a good product, you can't get anywhere. Exactly. Absolutely. And and Scott, we've we've spurred such a great conversation. We've also got Janine here from Philly. Janine, welcome to the show. Thank you, and thanks for taking my call. My question to Scott is: um, as someone who's interested in eco friendly, sustainable, organic, um, these words have been in the, this language has been around for quite a, a while now. At what point, or do you see demand for these products? Um, pushing down pricing, do you, do you see the demand at some point making sustainable products more affordable? Does it have to be, I mean, do, do we have to exchange higher costs to get um, earth-friendly, sustainable, and organic products up from now, from here henceforth? Or is there something going to happen in terms of, do you see something happening in terms of demand or, or uh, you know, manufacturing efficiencies that will make it a little bit more affordable across the board for consumer products in general. Yeah, Scott. Scott, are we um, are we going to be always be paying a premium? Are there going to be some economies of scale here? What, what's your take on that? I, I think that that um, it's a little bit of a combination of the two, and I don't like to stand in the middle of the road um, when I answer a question. But I do think it really depends on the product and the category, and and what's the basis for a conventional product. So. I can let me give you a specific example on on conventional textiles. Um, conventional textile manufacturing is a process that we all think of when we think about middlemen, right? We think about what sits between a factory and you know the consumer buying the product, right? So that's licenses and 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 agents and whatnot. Believe it or not, on the backside of textile production, there is a tremendous, probably even more middlemen that are controlling that pricing and taking their their sort of slice of that pie um, between the actually even charging for the cotton seed and, and right through um, through the end of the finishing product. So one of the things that we did in building our supply chain, this was the, the amazing like light bulb that went out for, off for us, was we realized by, by managing that supply chain ourselves and cutting out those middlemen, I actually had a cost of goods advantage, and I still have a cost of goods mm. advantage, versus luxury betting at and the conventional standpoint. So we truly are charging maybe a third of the price of what you would go to. You know, we're not selling what I would call mid-market level products. We are selling a high-end, high, high-quality product that competes with the finest that you can, you can um, get from Italy or, or, or France or, or places like that, right? So, um, so by cutting that process down, we actually created a situation where we have solid margins and we can still pass savings on to the consumer, right? So it's not like you're walking into Whole Foods and saying, is that tomato that's three times the price worth it? Um, so I think when it comes to food and things like that, it, it, it's a little bit harder to do that. Um, when it comes to, to cotton, I mean, there's still, 
we've been one of the biggest shifts probably in history in Bull and Branch in just the three and a half years that we've we've been around in shifting demand towards organic cotton and certainly certified organic cotton. Um, you know, there there was no demand. We were buying from cooperatives that were selling 80% of their product into the conventional market because there was no demand for it. Um, so it, it's a combination. We're gonna we're driving up demand, and the price is, is, is you know, we're, we're paying at a living wage. We're paying way above the commodity price for it um, because it's the right thing to do. What you're going to see, I think, is more and more farmers realizing, wow, there's potential demand, and I'm going to start shifting my own production into this. And, and so it's a long process to get to the point where across the board sustainable products are on price parity with um, you know conventional products. But, but it's it, doable. It, it's getting better. It's getting better, and and I think it requires new brands. So if I was a big box retailer and trying to create an organic line, I would never be able to do what Bull and Branch has done because I've got too many inherent processes. So by creating it from from scratch, we're able to just rid ourselves of a lot of the. the the, the fat and glo- you know, bloat that they have in their supply chains. And so, Janine, I'm sort of curious to know what industry you're coming from and, and where this might fit in for you. Well, um, I'm actually an entrepreneur and an inventor tinkerer. Um, we love those. <laughs> and so textile products, um, clothing, uh, handmade um, gifts, accessory items. It, the other question that I have is, when I hear the Bowling Brand commercials, and one of the favorite things that one thing that sticks out is always presents have slept on our sheets. That was going to be my last question too, Janine. That's a great wrap-up question. The, the thing is, is that do you purpose? So when I hear that, what my takeaway is as a consumer, this is quality. So I know that it's organic. I know that it's sustainable. But I hear quality. Do, are you leading on purpose with quality? Are you leaning, leading with? It's sustainable. Do you make that choice consciously? Do you do you advise anyone else to make that choice consciously? Or I mean, do you do you think consumers are would have a more emotional reaction to the sustainable part? I mean, have we gotten to the point where consumers are so interested in sustainable and eco friendly that that's what you lead with, or do you lead with the the quality? Yeah. So so Scott, that's you, that's definitely you, my question for you. Can I ask, let me ask you a question back, Janine. Would you rather sleep on a sustainable bed or a comfortable one? You got me. Because <laughs> <laughs> right? a sustainable so, bed might you, be a you board. Happen be, you happen to be a consumer that leans very heavily towards understanding. You have a, you have a level of understanding of this that very, very few consumers, an understanding and appreciation of it. Um, our objective has always been we are always going to make our products from sustainable materials, and we are never going to let that fool you, right? Um, at the end of the day, we're still selling, regardless of material, the most comfortable product out there, the best quality product out there. We choose to make from sustainable materials because we can't live with ourselves if we don't. Um, I can't be a part of a cycle of death and poverty. And, and, and honest to goodness, that is, that is the status quo. So you know, when you have a life expectancy of a conventional cotton farmer that's 35, and you're 36 starting your business, how do you not think about sustainable, you know, materials. Um, and, and we believe that we're going to make a much bigger change by getting people that, that aren't predisposed to think about sustainable materials to start enjoying it and then realize, oh my gosh, this is made sustainably. Sustainable products are better across not only objective measures, but subjective measures. And, and, um, 
And that is what we believe is going to change the world. Well, that's so great. Thank you so much for your question, Janine. Thanks to Constantine as well. Scott, this has been a fabulous conversation, but we are going to have to wrap up our, our segment. So thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Uh, hope, hopefully you guys will uh, will decide to, to, to become Bull and Branch believers yourselves and, uh, and buy the product. But I appreciate you having me on. You bet. Thanks so much. We've been speaking with Scott Tannen, founder and CEO of Bull and Branch. We're going to take a short break, but when we get back, we're going to be welcoming Michael Bush, who is the CEO of Great Places to Work. Maybe Bull and Branch will be one of those soon. Uh, stick with us. This has been Dollars and Change on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.